Hi, and welcome to the Write the Story podcast, where we divulge tips on plotting as you listen in to us outlining a short story. This episode has been brought to you by our listeners and supporters on Patreon. If you want to help bring more podcasts like this one to life, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash amwritingfantasy. Welcome to episode three. I'm Autumn. Before I call Jesper, let me bring you up to speed with what we have so far. We are continuing to develop our characters for the short story we are plotting. Last week, we began fleshing out the characters, especially Dromna, who is our protagonist. We only got about halfway through, halfway through though, and just to the point where everything we'd done on creating her attributes, some motives, figuring out her enneagram and her level, all of that was about to make sense. And then we stopped. We ran out of time. So not that we meant to stop on such a cliffhanger for you, but this week we are hoping to finish developing Dramna, starting with her inner conflict and then adding a bit more detail to hopefully her parents and Ubri, her love interest. Hopefully we can get all that done today in our call. Okay, with that, I'm going to call Jesper. Hello? Hi, how are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm doing better, but I'm still <laughs> coughing once in a while, so that's life. <laughs> that is life. I'm so glad you're doing better from COVID. That was really, oh, I can't believe you actually caught that. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Oh, good. Just a little crazy, some parental worries with my own parents getting sick, but everything's going good and I'm juggling tons of flaming cannonballs, but you know, I'm keeping them all <laughs> in the air and haven't scorched myself yet. So we're good. All right. So should we talk some story? Let's talk story. Okay. I think where we left off was uh, concerning inner conflict. Oh, yeah. That's, yep. That's what I remember too. Great. Yeah, so I found the uh, our guidebook, and uh, I was thinking to start out by just reading a bit stuff aloud here. Okay, great. That would be good to get me back into the mindset. Yeah, and it should then help explain what we're going to do here, and also for the listener, of course. Yes. All right, so I'm going to read out some stuff aloud here. While characters will normally look for ways to improve themselves to become the best version they can possibly be, they have a force that constantly works against them. That is the flaws. The flaws can be categorized as the character's weaknesses. As in real life, some flaws are small, almost insignificant, as they develop during one's upbringing, yet others cause an effect as strong as heating ice melting away the character's chance of self-growth and well-being. You guessed it, it's not the insignificant flaws that we are interested in. By adding one fatal flaw to your protagonist, you will bring to life a shortcoming that might very well be the character's ultimate downfall. As storytellers, this is the sort of juice that keeps us going. We can tell you that readers gulp it up too. <laughs> That's what we wrote. <laughs> well, that was good. Yeah. Um, then it says, at the beginning of the story, the flaw will block any chance of success. The catch is that the hero won't recognize the flaw for what it truly is and instead confuse it for a core strength. Some protagonists might know themselves well enough to actually understand that this imperfection is holding them back, yet they 
won't see any other course of action but to abide by the flaw. Why? Because at some point in the past, a defining emotional wound caused this flaw. When it did, it wrecked so much havoc that the character will do anything in their power not to experience the same pain again. Okay. It's not until the character conquers the fatal flaw that he or she will transform into a complete person, just like the lava being a beautiful butterfly. Right. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, we're almost like getting into character arc here, but not quite. But I do have one question is how we're talking about a fatal flaw. How is that different from the deep belief, the belief that we came up last time where Dramna feels she is unworthy and that's a core inner belief? So how is this different from that? So I don't think necessarily that it's that different because the inner conflict or the fatal flaw here is basically a lie that the character is telling themselves, right? So it must be like a, because of a false belief that, you know, followed in the wake of whatever incident happened during their upbringing. So that gave birth to some sort of lie. And the, this lie is what the character believes about him or, or herself, which is fairly aligned with the deep rooted belief that we talked about last time. It could be that the protagonist thinks that what happened was his or her own fault. You know, maybe the character believes in their own unworthiness of love and happiness, which is very aligned with what we talked about last time for drama. Yeah, it really is. Because we had said that, you know, she feels this buried conviction of hers is that she feels unworthy and she'll never find her place. She'll never belong and she'll never be fully independent. So it is a lie she's telling herself, but she does firmly believe it. So in many ways, it is part of her fatal flaw, but it's not quite a conflict. To make it an inner conflict, she would also have to be fighting it as well. Yeah, and it, it, we actually did write uh, on the bottom of page 127. It actually <laughs> says at the bottom, the lie she's telling herself is the same as the buried conviction. Oh, look, so I have good <laughs> instinct. So we kind of already have this. So it's that she feels unworthy. Oh, look, yes. we're good. We we actually already had this and it makes so much sense. <laughs> yes, but but I think it's good to, you know, just talk through that because... That aligns us now to talk about the character arc then. Um, yes. And it reminds us as well of where we're coming from, because this is basically sort of the heart of her personality. Yes. And I see that very much that she's, she pushes herself so much to be a fully independent person while also still accepting her parents' support, like letting them, her parents come and bring her food, letting her parents give her a really nice tent because she feels like she can't be independent, even though she's out there pretending to be independent. It's this really kind of a tightrope walk that she's doing. Yes, indeed. So that brings us into the concept of the character arc. Now, I, I think probably most of us and listeners know what a character arc is. So it's basically, it goes something like this, you know, a character starts out as quote unquote ordinary, you know, the type of person that the reader can identify with probably. And then a bunch of things happens and it causes the character to change and become the extraordinary, the kind of person that the reader would like to be, right? Well, so yeah, that's basically it in a nutshell. Well, that's, that's one type of character arc. So that's the heroic or the positive arc. 
I mean, I know that's where we're already going with this story, so we're fine, but we could do a steadfast arc where the character has a belief that she believes she's unworthy and the ending she proves that's true. So all she does is prove that her original conviction is true. That's steadfast. Or if she starts off on a good path and then fails and even though she really could be a wonderful dynamic person and she could be fully independent, but she decides no, at the last second she pulls back and says, no, I need support. I need someone to always take care of me. That would be a failed character arc, but Oh, we're both kind of like, uh, we we already decided that we want this one to have a bit of a positive spin. The world is a dark enough place. So I think, she, <laughs> I think she's on a positive arc and she's going to prove that her buried conviction that she is unworthy and will never be independent. That's going to be wrong. And she's going to realize it and embrace in becoming uh, an independent, really vibrant teenage elf who's working to become an assassin, you know. Just whatever teenage elf wants to be. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Me up, yeah. But it was basically we we talked about the levels of development in the anagram last time, so it is basically yeah. moving her from one level and up to the next level, as we talked about. Uh, yes, last and week. so yeah, yeah. And if we had kept it steadfast, she would stay at level five, and if she was failing, she'd be dropping down to like level six. But she's going up to level four. She's going to be on a path to be the person who shows up in our trilogy later on. Okay, so I think next up, Autumn, um, we're going to start sort of trying to use some of all the stuff we did last <laughs> week also, also as building blocks to actually... Now we're going to get to the stage where it's going to be concrete and we're going to have some concrete stuff that we're going to put into the actual story, oh, building on all the stuff we talked about last week. We were so close last week, but I, I I had to go. So I'm so excited to now put all of our, as what did we say, it was like, create, you're cooking, and we got out all the ingredients, and now we're ready to actually make something. So I'm so excited to put it all together. Yeah. I don't know if it's a soup or a sandwich, but we'll see. <laughs> it's you know, If it's a sandwich, it's going to be one that bites back. So that's all that matters. <laughs> right. So last time we uh, we did the inner motive. What was that again? That was independence. Dramna's inner motive is she wants to be independent. Right. So next step is, in order to raise the personal stakes of the character, we need scenarios that challenge their inner motive in concrete ways. Mm. So the first one is, the character's need and motive are present even before we turn the first page of the novel. Or to put it differently, going through everyday life, the character already has the need and motive embedded inside their person. So the first question is, what specific and realistic action can happen in the first scene to show how the protagonist is trying to fulfill his or her need? And then it says, the answer doesn't have to be anything monumental. Simplicity is perfectly fine. The important yes. part is that it's something that the character does rather than something he or she is thinking or talking about doing. Okay, that makes sense. So that's sort of, I mean, when we're writing novels, I talk about like the intro being a mini short story where the result of that story starts sets, is the inciting incident and sets off the novel plot. But here we're in a short story, so it's a lot more condensed and we're not going to do like a whole short story before the short story begins. This is really just an opening scene and it's supposed to be showing her inner motivation, so her independence... Well, yeah, so this is not the inciting incident or anything. Okay. We'll get back to that in later episodes. Uh, yeah. So this is just 
inside the first scene, whatever mm-hmm. that first scene will, we don't even worry about what's happening in the first scene right now. We're just thinking about what, what can we do to show Dramna's inner motivation in the first scene. Okay, well, I like that. And so since her inner drive towards independence, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so knowing that it's her inner motivation, I mean, and it's pretty easy because we have her set up, you know, on the shore. So she's probably feeling like she's rather independent and living a life without her parents. And I mean, it could be you're like doing simple things. So you're saying so something simple. She could be trying to even walk along the shoreline on her own. She could be making food. She could be sneaking off with her friends. But again, that's it's that's independent, but not quite independent because obviously she'd be with her friends, but maybe not taking their support to follow a trail. I mean, for her being blind, showing independence can be very, very simple. Just doing something on her own and not taking assistance. Yeah, the, the not taking assistance part was actually what came to my mind as well maybe she's offered something or and then says no no i'll i'll take care of it myself or you know mm-hmm. something like that that will definitely show independence uh, in a very active way yeah that she chooses it rather than it being or, or just happening or being forced upon her or anything right. like that yeah or having the, whoever's there like i could so see that with like knowing parents and even my mom they're always like i can help you you know her going no no i can open this jar once you leave and then yeah that's her choosing it instead of having the mother saying no no you're going to do this as soon as i leave this is something that's up to you to do it so yeah yeah i think having her choose to she has to be the active participant to be showing she's making this choice so could there be some sort of festival or some special occasion going on and somebody wants to bring her something special to eat or something and then she doesn't want it i could see that i guess i hadn't envisioned her being anywhere but at the shore so unless it was something that was down the beach um i was envisioning her like when she's in this year of solitude to be able to hear naveen that she would be pretty, she'd be alone except for, you know, people bringing her food or doing things like that. Yeah, that, that's what I meant as well. Yeah. She, she's alone on the beach, but maybe there is some sort of special festival or celebration in the city. And mm-hmm. because of that, they, th- you know, her parents think that uh, she shouldn't be cheated out of the nice food, at least. So they, they want to bring her something and then she doesn't want it or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I guess I'm thinking from her point of view, so we can't show what her parents are doing in the city, but we could have it in the opening scene of them bringing her something and her saying, no, you know, I I do not need to take part. I'm doing this. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 That would work. I definitely think something like that, where she either does it on her own or she refuses something because she is, she's doing her own thing and she's fine with that. Okay. Let's go with that. And then basically the next step is we need to build some more on, on that, which the next step is called escalation. So this is just how can the protagonist's need and motive play an even greater role? Okay, and well, what is the protagonist going to do about it? Focus is on action. Okay, so a greater role than just of wanting to be independent than what she, we've just shown. Yeah, it's sort of like it's taking it up a notch, you know, mm-hmm. that, that this was like the very small way of showing like she wants to be independent. So we need to take that up a notch and, and making it a bit more impactful. Like this is not in the same scene, right? This, this is probably a bit later in the, in the story. So 
something that happens where we again can show that she wants to be independent, but it should be a bit more impactful. Okay. Well, yeah, I definitely think that there should be lots of ways of her showing her independence, but she's not going to be hard. She's, she's, <laughs> she, she is a very forceful character in her own right, even though she's a teenager in this story at the moment and still discovering herself. I could almost see, we already have her like turning away her parents. So I almost think she should turn away someone else or be doing something like we do want to have her going out with her friends or we could have Ubri coming and having something there. But I could also see Ubri being part of um, her conflict, which we can get to in a little bit. Because I know she's going to want to rely on him or be tempted to rely on him a little bit as she's starting to fall in love with him. Yeah. I'm wondering if we could sort of, instead of generating a conflict per se or her having another refusal of something, could we turn it on its head basically and have something happen that reminds her of what she doesn't have? For example, if we're saying that she has a strong drive for independence and also she because she's she's telling the lie to herself that she doesn't belong and she's not she's not good enough, etc. Could we have something happen where it reminds her maybe of a situation where she did feel like she was good enough mm. and then use that in one way or another to sort of drive home how it's her her sense of independence is what makes her try to get back to that situation or reinvigorate that feeling of I- actually feeling like you belong. I like that. I mean, because what came to mind immediately, partially because maybe I'm living on the coast again at the moment, was um, a storm or something coming up that sort of wrecks her tent or something, does does something that so she half wants to, she's scared and alone and thinks she needs help, um, or even if it's just as much to fix it up again. And instead she does have maybe a memory of like, no, or finds the confidence of, I can do this. I can do this on my own. And she does do it on her own. Yeah. And maybe she was, you know, much younger and she was on a, I don't know. I don't think why else goes on a camping trip, (laughs) but you know, I I was just thinking like if she was on a similar trip when she was younger uh, or something, and then there was a storm, Maybe they they weren't in a tent or anything, but there was a storm, something happened, and it caused a situation where she had to, like, I don't know, maybe stayed in a hunter's lodge somewhere or whatever, and they had to stay overnight together with her parents or something, and her parents, of course, didn't like the fact that there was a storm and they had to stay, but for her as a young kid, it -hmm. was nice. You know, she, she actually enjoyed it, and she felt like she was... She was the center of their int- attention in that cabin at that time. And she loved it. I could see that. I just, I could see it more as a memory to a part of something going on at the same time. I don't want to do it just as a flashback to give her confidence. I want something to be happening at the time, like a storm as well. Some kind of danger that she's in that she has to overcome. Because I don't like just flashbacks. They just seem to not be an active element in the story. They're more passive. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think necessarily we have to write like a full flashback about it. We it could just be a sentence saying like it was like the time blah blah, and then mm-hmm. more things happen. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I think if it's anchored in, like I said, like a, a current storm or a current situation that she has to overcome, and she's losing faith, and then she just because it is maybe raining again, she's like, oh, this kind of reminds me of this time as a kid, and it she gives her the boost to you know get through it i think that would be really cool as long as it's anchored in something going on at the moment and not just like waking up one morning going oh it's a bad day oh i remember yeah. i got through this yeah. yeah 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 indeed okay yeah i think that works i think that works great okay next step is what we call collision okay. so it says that this collision does not have to follow right after the escalation it could but it doesn't have to so it could be much later in the story. But this is basically, the question here is, how can the protagonist come into a direct collision course with her need and motive? And what mm-hmm. is the protagonist going to do about it? So in other words, this basically means like, we probably need to put her in a situation where she she just have to rely on the help of somebody else. She, she cannot use her independency in this situation. Yeah, that's definitely what's going to happen. So this is sort of the inner conflict, so or even an outer conflict. I mean, it's part of the conflict that's in contrast to her inner motivation of being independent. So I, I mean, I keep coming back to Ubri, but I don't want him to be a total obstacle because he's going to be, um, he's going to be good. He's going to be healthy for her, but maybe something with her other friends where they want to take her to you know a celebration a bonfire or something they're doing and that basically because the path is so rough or going there is so difficult she has to be led she has to be helped to get there yeah i'm trying to remember when we did the whole premise of the story if i was trying to remember after the beach where where did did we have her go anywhere or anything like that what did we say or maybe we didn't we well, we basically had her go from the beach straight to hearing. Um, well, the 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 older priestess dies, or someone who is one of Naveen's chosen dies, and they come down and give her body to the water, and she sees the dra- Well, she hears the dragon comes close to shore, one of the sea dragons, and that frightens her so much because she's heard Naveen's voice, and she's supposed to swim out to the island, that she panics and goes straight on a mission to the other inner city to go see the waterfall at Winter's Keep. So right. we don't have her ever leaving the beach. And being a short story, I don't want to have too many places for her to but that, go. That was exactly my thinking, is that yeah. we, if we need her to go to do something else and all that, it's going to be a very long intro section of a story that will feel very boring. Yes. Um, so I, I think if we can tie it to that funeral thing there instead... Okay. So that it's tied to something that needs to happen anyway. That would probably be better. So we don't waste pages and words on just a small point here. Okay. But I'm trying to think, unless it's um, maybe there as an apprentice to be one of Naveen's Chosens, there's certain rights that she's supposed to be doing, but to be, to be part of it, she's got to be handed the things or dragged, you know, put in the right spot. And she just doesn't know where she goes because she can't see where she goes. Yes, but at the same time, of course, she is supposed to be secluded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I guess maybe could we have if they're if they're having a funeral and she sees us and she's freaked out about it and so could she maybe try or want to go over there or something, you know, linked to her freaking out or something and then she can't because maybe there's uh well, I don't know, jagged rocks or something. But on the other hand, we need to be careful because if she can't cross jagged rocks, how can she do a lot of the other things she does later? Yeah, that's the tough one. And that's why my initial thought was just because we wanted to show her being a little rebellious, sneaking away. So I know we wanted to have even just mentions of her sneaking away with friends. And so that's why that one came to mind. But maybe if she's on the shore, I mean, she has to be a witness of some sort to the funeral yeah, so that she can be near it. Yes. And it wouldn't be, maybe it would be for... I mean, elves don't die every day, so maybe one of Naveen's chosen is one of the few times where they do pull in the other apprentices or potential acolytes, whatever we want to call them. It wouldn't be that unusual to saying, hey, this only happens like once every 20 to 50 years, so you're going to take part in this and you're going to be there. But when the dragon comes, I agree, it shouldn't just be her not knowing what to do during the ceremony, but she should actively want comfort, actively want help. And I think that's what really turns it independence on her head. She's going to be wanting comfort. And when, when this dragon comes and she's totally freaked out about it, she, you know, grabs someone's hand and she says, help me get away, you know, help me get away from here, get back from away from the shore. Yeah, I think that works. I think that the key here really is that we need to hammer home the point of the fact that she is conflicted about the fact that she wants help. She, she doesn't feel, she doesn't like the fact that she wants it, but at the same time, she she is just pushed so far out of her own comfort zone that she has to. Yeah, oh, and I don't think it should be so much a terrain factor, but she's no, just... No, I never... agree. It's the emotional part. She, she needs yeah. to get away from there. She's emotionally, and she's very scared, and maybe it's a place she's never been, so maybe there's a, a special place that's not even in the shore where she normally is with the tent, but... It's a whole new place. She has basically, she's been kind of led through the ceremony. She has no idea which way she is. And maybe a wave hits her ankle and she's just like, oh my gosh, just help me get away from these, this place and actively seeks comfort, even though she doesn't want it at the moment at the same time. And it could be Ubri helping her then. I would love it if Ubri was helping her. And being yeah, her I think comfort. that would be good. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. The final piece of this section is the catalyst. Okay. This part should embody the premise somehow, and it is to enhance the internal conflict, making it as strong as the overarching plot of the story by pushing the hero into a situation where the only option is to face the past and decide whether to accept that terrifying wound or not. So your protagonist should be incredibly frustrated, vulnerable, and fully exposed to his or her deep-rooted fears at this point. And then we also wrote that we know that how humans are highly resistant to change, so the catalyst has to be something so huge that the protagonist realizes that there is no turning back. So for this reason, it's often worth considering what might might feel counterintuitive. So what stakes would cause the protagonist to do something that she would never have dreamed of doing? Okay, so is this one, would you say in a plotting terms, is this like, would this pivot to the inciting incident or would this pivot towards the Dark Knight of the Soul? More the Dark Knight of the Soul in the sense that 
the catalyst has successfully been achieved when we have the protagonist basically put in a place or a situation where he or she can only fulfill one part of the internal conflict, right? So she can only either face the fact that the lie she's telling herself about that she's not good enough, she can either Mm -hmm. only face that and conquer it by figuring out that she is good enough or she can try and fail, right? But so we're not we're not going to concern right now about the outcome of what's going to happen. We're just going to install her in the situation and leave it there. Okay. Cause I can so think... it's more about figuring out what is that thing that can push her so far. Right. And that's... I'm trying to think if... Like, I know in terms of plotting, we've already talked about her, you know, finding Askel, the master assassin, and rescuing him. If that... if this dark night of the soul, if this is the turning point of her character arc, if it's going to be something there or if it's going to be something after she leaves the shore and is on her way to Winter's Keep. It's more or less, I mean, it makes most sense that it's towards the end of the story because this is where we're going to show that she has changed. Okay. So then if it's where she's changed, it's definitely either when she finds Askel or when she confronts his apprentice assassin and manages to help stop him and that's also so it's one of those two points to me unless you see something else well uh, i think as you're talking about that it makes me wonder you know those things that you're talking about is still her being very independent she's being proactive she's doing things so that is all well and good but i'm wondering if we shouldn't have when she comes back at the end and she reconnects with her parents and she talks to her family, we should have something there where it's in one way or another so that so that she, she comes to... Well, it shouldn't be as easy as she just comes to terms with how she has changed, but more like I, I'm wondering if we could create something that makes that scene more impactful than just being like, yes, I returned, you know, but, but if we can make something happen there where she actually has to face the fact that, you know, she does matter. She is important. Mm-hmm. Could, could one of her parents be like, well, the elves doesn't get sick, but could, could something had happened where it is her, presence or something that that alleviates some pain or something something that happens where she realizes that because i'm here it actually makes a difference okay because i i just have to think rethink because i was thinking this is like you know dark night of the soul so yours is really more of a wrap-up to show the end of her character arc yeah that's at least how i'm thinking about it because i'm thinking that it's where we need to show well it it could happen a bit earlier in the story as well, but but of course, I mean, she has to face her lie mm-hmm. straight on, right? And she's lying to herself in the sense that she's telling herself, "I'm not worthy." And one of her defense mechanisms, so to speak, is her uh, independence. Right. So if she if we're gonna move her from, I don't feel worthy to, now I do believe that I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. It's that situation there that we need to confirm. You know, what is that situation that can move a person from feeling like they're not worthy to realizing, well, I am actually. 
Yeah, and that's where that's why to me that's when I'm thinking of like the Dark Knight of the Soul, or just that's that is the turning point of the character arc. So that's where they go from refusing to see that they've been lying to themselves, that they you know she has this internal belief that she doesn't feel worthy, where she finally confronts that and says. I can I am I pretend to be independent but I feel unworthy where she finally says I've just been pretending to be independent because I feel unworthy but I really I actually really can do this and I Correct. am positive. So that really to again to me that's the dark night of the soul and to me we have that mapped out when she's looking for something to heal her. She's looking for a, a external healing and when she gives that up to save Askel and suddenly opens up her senses where she's like, Oh no, but I can, I need to, I need to reach him. I need to help him. And she kind of opens up her senses and she realizes that, Hey, I can tell that the water and the waterfall and the wind is actually hitting a solid surface. And I know there's no cave there. And I know, I know that, and that's fine because I'm helping him and I've chosen to do this to me. That's her, that's her turning point. Right. So I think we've already mapped it out unless we move it somewhere else. But to me, that is the moment she finally believes in herself. But I also think that there's a lot of things on the journey there for that sure, she's for sure, going to have sure. to face. For sure. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. But, but I'm still wondering. I, I agree with that there is a turning point there. And that's probably where she starts believing. Mm-hmm. But I still think that her sense of belonging is essentially rooted in her family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what she that's what she really craves. At the end of the day, she she craves to feel a part of her family and feeling loved and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think we can definitely use that scene that you talked about to show that she starts realizing things. But it should probably play out in the final scenes there, in showing how. You know that things has changed when she sees her parents again. Yeah. Well, I just, I just think that's not the catalyst because catalyst means you know the beginning of it, and I do think the ending does have to show that she has changed. And I also maybe she finds a sense of belonging. I think she should find some acceptance with her parents, but I also think she needs to possibly realize that they're not her only family. Suddenly she has Askel's protection. She also has Ubri's returning. Maybe some of some kind of nuance where they realize they go to that extra step where, you know, they finally kiss, they realize that it's not just friendship. And so her definition of family also expands and that she has a place among many people. But I think that definitely is part of the wrap up, Mm. but it only begins the catalyst of all of that is deciding what, you know, saving Askel's life or at least helping him when he's injured and get helping him to get up to winter's keep in the hospital there. The yeah, I agree. But, but I still, I'm still struggling to see the link between that being about her not feeling worthy or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, whether or not you feel worthy or not, you probably wouldn't just let somebody die, right? You, you would try <laughs> to do something. Now, now, of course I, I, I can probably see that, when she then fights that other assassin in that room mm-hmm. when Askel is wounded, that that'll take something to do that. Mm-hmm. I think so, she's, yeah. well, that's maybe, to me, I guess maybe I that's think, the place. Yeah. Maybe that's the place to me. Worthy is 
not doubting yourself that you have value and worth and the moment with Askel tells her that she has more abilities than she realized and that's going to start her on the path that when she then helps tackle the other assassin she feels more worthy and then when she gets back home and she faces that she ran away and goes to the priestess she even feels more and isn't like just scolded she's treated as an adult all of those will combine to like a final scene where she realizes she has a place and she is worthy for who she is and part of that is her belief in herself that you know even just accepting Askel's offer saying hey I think you'd make a good assassin and her saying yes yes I think I would as well and so I'm going to go to the yeah. priestess and say you know what I, I I'm doing this and I'm so sorry but this is the path I want to take how do I yeah. how do I yeah. make that right yeah yeah that, that yeah I agree that makes sense okay. all right so I actually think we have more or less everything we need for Dramna now. Oh, um, that's exciting. The only other question was that I remember you talked about, maybe it was last week or the week before, but you mentioned Ubri and her parents and maybe Askel as some characters that maybe needed a bit more flesh on the bones. Yeah, I don't want them to, just, especially your parents, I don't want them to be stereotypes. I think Askel and Ubri. You know, I think their characters will develop, but I don't want him to just be, you know, some little love interest either. They should have some quirks and be fully fleshed, at least for secondary characters. Yeah, because we actually have in the character auditing section, we have on the minor characters a a statement or a question that I think we can use here to just put something together for those. Okay. Because it says that you should create a unambiguous statement on how each of these minor characters will make the protagonist either think differently or take an action that would otherwise not have taken place. Oh. So if we can make a sentence like that for each of them, then, then I think we we have some more depth to them. Mm-hmm. I like that. So it puts it in terms of her. And I kind of want to, I mean, I think again, I think Ubri and Askel are the easier to without mm-hmm. having them be stereotypes. But so how does Ubri make her realize what, so realize that she is worthy? Is that what the question would be or the sentence would entail? Well, it could be, or it could just be that it's because of him that she does something she wouldn't have done otherwise. So okay. it could be linked to what we just, you just said, but it could mm-hmm. also be just be something different, but, Basically, like it's his presence and personality that okay. makes her do something else, okay, or, or do something she wouldn't have. Yeah, I like that. I could almost see. Could you imagine him? Because I mean, we we know he ends up in the guard later on, or the sort of the elven military. We haven't decided if you know all elves have to go through that, or if that's something he chooses. But if it's something he chooses, I could see him being kind of a forthright character he is kind of very honest to the core and so that could be what makes her go to the high priestess and find out what's going on with Naveen because she's like this is something you know Ubri would do and I'm going to do this because it it would be a good thing to have all the loose ends tied up yeah I guess that might work but I'm also wondering if because of let's say the the love that grows between them if it could cause her to let go of her 
you know, some sort of situation where she lets go of her need for being independent or, you know, that she sort of allows him to fulfill that part of her role or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that where, well, where it's just showing that she's putting, you know, some faith in him that she normally only puts in herself. Yeah, well, I definitely think so because I think her affection for Ubri and growing romance and even a friendship with Askel will make her put aside her feeling of not having a place she'll, or even her definition of family or friends just realizing because we said up until as a teenager she's going to have a hard time relating to people and she's going to relate to them on a deeper level and it'll redefine who she is but I guess I was trying to use that to reflect on who Ubri is as a person to kind of generate some traits for him so he's not just like this little roughed in figure of okay love interest but who is he what about him makes him special yeah yeah i agree that's important yeah yeah but i do agree i think that's definitely because of who he is and how she connects with him and even askel on a deeper level finally finds friends that she's not holding at arm's length because we said you know as part of her enneagram she kind of isn't really deeply relating to anyone mm. but so it could just be that. because he's so he's so trustworthy or something mm-hmm. that that she feels comfortable with it yeah i could see that just yeah there's got to be something special about him that she he's maybe out of everyone she maybe he doesn't always help her either maybe he kind of lets her prove herself a little bit and maybe she kind of gets annoyed at him at first, but also realizes that, you know, he lets her be slightly independent and thinks that she can do more than she realizes. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that that might be good. Uh, we just need to make it very clear that it's not because he's an asshole that he, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. help her. You know, that, that, that he just, he tries to, maybe he sees her true nature better than she sees herself, you yeah. know, and, and he's trying to, in a, in a very nice way and supportive way, of course, uh, but he's trying to help her see her true nature herself. Yeah, I like that. That'll be. A, I'll have. A, I'll have some experience because my husband likes doing that to me, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know how she will feel. But I also know how you know it feels really good when you do do it yourself, and then you see everyone else struggling. And you're like, I figured that out years ago, people. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I can kind of uh, pull some ideas for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but I, I think that's good if he's very trustworthy, and and then he is uh, seeing, yeah, seeing her for what she really is better than she sees it herself. We we can use that, but but then that'll definitely add some character to him. Yeah, it really does. It gives him. I could. I now have this feeling that he's trustworthy and kind and warm, but he's also like, nope you go get it <laughs> and that's going to tick her off but she's also going to be independent enough to go and do it and yeah it'll be this kind of it'll have a little bit of a tension that becomes um true affection and i think that's really yes. sweet that's what we go for i know it worked out for me it's been 20 years so it works <laughs> fine <laughs> so that's a little bit more on Ubri. i'm so excited about him now <laughs> How about do we can we find something for Askel? What he something he does that makes her more I mean, obviously his 
there's going to be a lot. He's going to help her become a master assassin. Well, not a master, an assassin. Yeah, and I think, unless you want to add some more, but I think we already have it a bit baked in, in the sense that he's the one who's going to believe in her and sort of say, you can do this thing and convince her and so on. So I think that's already baked in. And I feel like because of the role that Askel has in the story, he will form as a pretty good character already, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's he's kind of his mentor role is pretty well fleshed out to be a mentor who's an ass- master assassin and also in a bit of a pickle. He's kind of he won't oh. be too hard to flesh out. How no, about, How about her parents then just to make them not just as overbearing smothering yeah. her with love. I just I want them to be something a little more special than that. Yes, this might be, I don't know if this is cliche because it just popped up in my mind so quickly. So mm. that might be why, but I just thought about, could they have lost another daughter earlier on or something? And that's why they're so overprotective or something like that? It could is, be. Is that a cliche thing? It's a little cliche. I think though any, especially the elves who hold family so important in their society. And if maybe linking it to the fact that they never had an, another child because we have said that you know she is the only child i think or did we have a sister now i can't remember no i think she was the only one yeah. <laughs> our listeners will know <laughs> they've listened to it when we yeah. talked about it we'll have to go back and read our notes because i at some point i just suddenly thought oh wait no we mentioned maybe she would have a sister and she'd feel protective of that but i maybe i'm just you know i was dreaming but if she is an only child i mean um, again, my husband's an only child and his mother has been incredibly overprotective because it's her only hatchling. I could see that, that, you know, she was the only child. She was born blind. They're very protective. And if we wanted to, maybe they just, they didn't have a child after her for, it was a difficult pregnancy and she's basically, the mothers just can't have any more kids. So they're very protective of her. Yeah, that actually worked because if it's so that because of the, pregnancy that the mother can't have any more children wouldn't that also play into her not feeling worthy and so i mean there, there will, isn't there some part of this where she might blame herself for it was because i was born that my parents can't have any more children or something yeah. like i mean wouldn't that play in there i could believe that because yeah I, i've heard a similar story before so that i definitely could see playing into the story that you know she feels like oh here i was i was born i was a difficult birth i was a difficult pregnancy i was born blind and my parents can't have any more kids and i'm not perfect and yeah she's gonna have a whole bucket load of teenage angst right there yeah and then to then add add more depth to the parents well we need to find something where it shows a bit more of their character as well because I think, I mean, we have all the overprotective stuff already. This is mm-hmm. the, sort of the result of them not being able to have another child. But it still doesn't really show character as such, yeah? No, it doesn't show uh, the warmth of them, like the other side of them and who they are as individuals, other than smothering parents or, you know, sending her out to be one of Naveen's chosen, hoping that she, as we said, she will go so far, but she won't actually make it all the way. And so that she'll just be kind of like an associated woman in the priest with the Naveen's chosen and have a standing and be safe that way. So 
don't want them to just be manipulative and smothering. Those are just, all of these are negative words. I want something that says these are good people. I think we did talk about, at the end at least, when she returns, that they would be supportive of her, of her wanting to do something else. I think we talked about that already, right? So, yeah. so at least that, but but of course, that that's just at the end as well. So I'm wondering if we could have something a bit earlier on that also shows their character a bit more. So it doesn't like, otherwise we run the risk of it coming across as is in the beginning that, that they are just these overprotective, annoying parents. And then whoopty whoopty later, she comes back and she's home. And then all of a sudden they're like, no, no, you've grown a lot and uh, we support you. You know, we need something to bridge that gap somehow. Exactly. I think so too. And I mean, we sort of, you know, we have them in the beginning wanting to, you know, include her in a a celebration, a festivity that she can't take part in. So it's kind of nice of them, but there's got to be something else. I don't want it to be like a wicked stepmother story that suddenly becomes the fairy godmother. It's got to be. Exactly. It's got to, there's got to be something in between, yeah. But of course, the thing is also that they are, you know, it's only Dramna who's a point of view character. So we mm-hmm. can't even, otherwise we could have shown maybe, you know, when Dramna goes off that they are helping Ubri or something. Then we could have shown something like that, which would show that they have more death to them and they are <laughs> caring people and so on. But, right. but because Dramna is not there, we can't show anything she can't see. Exactly. Um, so, though we can, we do have Ubri as a bridge as well. That he could, maybe she's not willing to see it, but he could say, "Oh, you know, they came to ask about you. They knew I was coming down today, and they, you know, wanted to see how you were doing. Just something that is, I don't know, more off-putting. Or the other thing would be having them." risking some discomfort uh like if we have the scene with them in the storm that they come afterwards like in a hurry trying to see if she was okay and they tried to reach her in the storm and they're like soaking wet and a little battered up themselves yeah, i think that's much better yes okay. because, because if they if they have a bit of skin in the game so to speak here then uh, <laughs> that will show how much they actually care okay so, so yeah i think that's a good idea okay so yeah we'll have them they'll have gotten caught out in the storm and just desperate to reach her and make sure she's fine and that way, when they come and she's like, um, yeah, I like fix the tent myself. And, <laughs> but they can be like, oh, my gosh, we're so happy. We were so worried. And maybe she can yes. sit them down and give them tea and be like, look, I'm yes, fine. Yes, yes indeed. Okay, perfect. All well, right. I feel, I feel better about them now. I'm glad. So do we miss anything on characters or should we then move on to something else next week? I think we're ready to move on to something else next week. What Do you have a hint of what's coming next? Well, that's, that's what we call the plot posts. So we're getting oh. into all the inciting incidents and all those different things that probably most people, when it comes to plotting, have heard about before. Yes. So and all the that's things the I stuff. keep mentioning. Is this the inciting incident? Is this the intro? So we can actually go over those. Yay. Okay. Yeah, that's Sounds the stuff. Great. Well, have a fantastic week. I hope your cough loosens up a bit more and you don't get sicker. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Well, tell your family I said hi. Yeah, you too. And uh, have a good week as well. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Write the Story, a limited series podcast please consider to support. It will help us make more podcasts like this one in the future. Go to www.patreon.com 
forward slash amwritingfantasy.